And that was The Smiths with a track called Paint, a vulgar picture from the album Strange Ways. Here we come. I'm David Eastor, and this is The C86 Show. Hello and welcome to the show. Once again, I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, I'll be going to be crossing time, space, and genre with the finest in indie pop. This week, we have another special guest. Yes, it's going to be Richard Jobson from The Skid. So expect quality chat and interview and another award-worthy playlist. But to kick off the show, I thought we should play one of their early classics. And let's face it, they had so many. This is Into the Valley. Yeah. 
And that was The Loft with a track called Up the Hill and Down the Slope, featuring the one and only Pete Astor, who went on to form The Weather Prophets and um, many reasons for wanting to play that. But I've just been reading Neil Taylor's book, C86 and all that, and um, he mentions The Loft and Weather Prophets and Pete Astor quite a lot. So I thought I'd revisit those glorious sounds. And before that, we had our special guest, The Skids, and in the track called Into the Valley from their 1979 album, Scared to Dance. And they'll be at the Norwich Waterfront on the 19th of January, so check it out. And also that featured the one and only Stuart Adamson, who went on to form Big Country. So, as I said, if you were paying attention 
And I don't blame you if you weren't. At the begin, beginning of the show, I have an interview with the main man from the skids, Richard Jobson. So I'll be bringing that interview in e three easy-to-digest little segments. But to keep the party rolling, this is the Jasmine Minx and the track called Think.
the unmistakable sound of the Copter Twins with a track called Love's Easy Tears that came out um, on the EP of the same name in 1986. And before that, all the way from Scotland, actually they're both from Scotland, aren't they? Uh, the Jasmine Minx and the track called Think, and that was an album called The, the Revenge Of. Hello, this is Dave Easter on the C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. If you'd like to contact me, we always like your messages. You can via Facebook or Twitter, just go to at c 86 show and um, obviously uh, this week's special guest the skids because i caught up with richard jobson and the band um, as i said at the beginning are playing at the waterfront on the 19th of jan and also have a new album coming out which is titled burning cities in fact that might be out at the moment and also richard jobson has just written a book and i think he's done a few but this is called speed of sound it's come out on unbound books and it's a love letter to David Bowie but um, a lot of that will be revealed in my interview which uh, will be coming up very soon but to keep with the happy party sounds this is the saints no it's not the saints it's the skids with the track called the saints are coming take it away to my daddy on the telephone how long now Till the clouds are rolling, you come on the line well. But the shadow still remains in your descent, your descent. Shadow 
What a sound, what an anthem, what a band. That is the, sk- uh, the skids and the track called The Saints Are Coming. And that goes out to Neil Ward and also Richard Balls and Gordon, who I know are big fans of the band and will probably be at the waterfront on the 19th to see them. Anyway, this is David East on the C86 show. And this is going to be the first part of my interview with Richard because I realise time is ticking on. When I talk about his life in music, which he then corrected me on, I know. But anyway, check it out. This is the first part of the interview. Well, I mean... Uh... You say that, but I actually stopped doing it when I was 24. I went off to do many other things like, you know, write books, make movies, um, get involved in the theatre and had varying degrees of success and and failure. And so I actually left the music behind. Occasionally I dabbled with a little centenary event for the skids, but never nothing overly serious. And it was really um, 2017, which was the 40th anniversary, that all our friends in England and Ireland were saying, how come you only ever do one date in Scotland? It's not fair. We want to see you. And we thought, well, that's very sweet, but there's not enough of you to warrant that. You know? so, but they kept at us and at us and at us. So, so we endeavoured to play some more dates, and um, it was really quite an amazing experience. And... Uh, We've then gone on to record an album. and But actually, there was a huge gap in between for me. Uh, and so I did many, many other different things in between. Because the one thing I've noticed, because I've been doing a show called the C86 show, which is kind of mostly playing indie bands from the, the 80s, which I was obsessed with. And, um, and most of them had that five-year narrative. You know, they got together, they sort of realised they could make a bit of a sound, and then they did a single and probably got played on the John Peel show and did the album. By the time they did the tour, things were tricky. And then when they, you know, tried to follow up with their second album, that was an, probably in, in most cases was a, was a disaster. So how did how did the skids? How did your narrative go in the early years? Um, well, it was a little bit more um, sustained than that. I mean, it was we started off as a bunch of kids. I was just fifteen when I met the guys and. You know, 16 when we started doing our first recording in 1977. Um, we did our own label, uh, our little single, which um, John Peel played, and um, it got us a lot of attention. And then we got signed very quickly to Virgin Records. And we made our first album, Scared to Dance. And um, it just really just kept on getting bigger and bigger. Then we went on to make a second album called Days in Europa, which was... Um, a little bit more experimental and advanced, I think, than the first one. And it was, um, again, we had a couple of big hit singles on it. And then we got to our third album, and that's when things started to... I mean, that was actually our most successful album and our most successful tour when we called it a day. So it's kind of kind of crazy, really. So, you know, we were at our peak when we went our separate ways, which is just one of those kind of things, you know. We, yes. People grow out of one another in bands, that's the case. And I think uh, some some bands can navigate that and some can't. You know, even bands who were best friends at school, things get in the way, you know, the kind of politics of living out of each other's pockets pretty much every day of the week. If you think about it, you're rehearsing, you're touring, you're recording, and some of the some people in bands want to have another life, you know. They want to have a a home, kids, all these kind of things. None of the none of which I wanted to do. I was just 
much more interested in the experience and the and I quite like the itinerant existence of being in a band in those early years for sure. Yeah, because I, I guess that, I mean, having spoken to quite a lot of people, I think no one really expects it to, you know, almost take off. You know, there's that dream, but no one's really prepared for it. So when it does, it's almost like there hasn't been that opportunity to just quickly sit down and, and sort of get the legality and the manager and the record label and everything under control. It's just, it's a bit of yeah, a whirlwind. And, 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 that, and that's what catches up a bit later. Yeah, I think it does. I think, um, you know, uh, you can be trained in various um, skills and apprenticeships and stuff, but you can't be trained into this kind of thing. It's, you know, it's very uh, impulsive and intuitive and um, a lot of people, as you correctly say, don't have the experience to deal with the vast changes that happen. I mean, the, the, my band, for example, were all kind of working class kids from the east of Scotland. None of us were used to having any money, and suddenly we had money because we were successful. And the money really just got in the way because it was, you know, it's not something that we were used to having, so we didn't really know how to deal with it. We didn't deal with it lavishly and stupidly, I might add. It just it just kind of got in the way. And um, by the time we understood how to deal with that aspect of it, I think it was too late because we had the journey for all of us was going in different directions. And that's what happens, you know. I mean, you know, I know lots of guys that, uh, who are in bands who are were awesomely successful, and people go, why wouldn't they get back together again? But because the personality clashes are just not worth it. You know, otherwise it's just a mercenary experience to to um, cynically extort money out of their fans. I think so. Yeah. Unless it's genuine, then there's no point in doing it. Which is why you know I feel really good about what we've just done because we made an album again, and the album's really got something to say. It's got an energy and a freshness and an anger about it that's very pertinent to the skids, and uh, you know it feels part of the modern world whether anybody will be interested in listening to it's another matter but at least we did it with the right intentions and the right commitment and i think that's important otherwise you know when you go on stage and try and play these things you know i think you can only fake it for so long before people in an audience can work out that it's uh, you're just going through the motions which we definitely do not do no, you know, that is the first part of my interview with Richard. I've got another two parts. And also I'll be playing a track from their new album that's just come out. The album is called Burning Cities. Do check it out. And as I said, they're at the waterfront in a couple of weeks' time, the 19th, in fact. Anyway, this goes out to David and Rachel all the way in Australia. I think you'll like this. This is Working for the Yankee Dollar. Was on me. 
Another classic track that was from the skids on the track called Working for the Yankee Dollar. And that goes out to David and Rachel, as I said, at the beginning of that, all the way in Australia. Hope things are going as well as they can. And uh, this is David Eastall on the C86 show. This is the second part of my interview with uh, Richard Jobson from the skids. We ask him about the band and um, how, well, what did I ask him? About how to keep it going and uh, what you need to uh, keep the show on the road. And this is his answer. Yeah, again, people aren't prepared for it, so they don't really have the skill set to deal with these various crisis points that come along the way. I mean, you know, in in some ways, I've really enjoyed working on my own stuff, like my my writing and photography work and stuff, because that's very much an individual pursuit, or, you know, the same week as I have the album coming out next year, in January, I've got my first novel coming out. So, you know, that's something I just locked myself away and got on with. But when you're with a band, you've got to be very aware and sensitive that the other people that are in that band are not the same as you are, and their needs, requirements, sensitivities are entirely different. So, you know, you, you can't be a fascist about these things. You can't just say, well, it's my way or no way. You've got to try and find a common ground between everybody, you know, and, and that can be through a, a variety of sources, through humour, through, you know, um, again, just a kind of common decency, um, or it could be through, you know, a cultural kind of connection, and hopefully when you get it right, it's all of those things, and, and so you're sharing something with people who are like-minded. But it's not easy, you know, because people change and evolve I mean, the, the guy I worked with in the early days of the skate, Stuart Adamson, we were very tight, very close. We had a kind of connection that was very special. But then life moved on, you know, and he wanted to have a, a like a proper relationship with his girlfriend, get married, have children, and all these things. And I was a young, I was much younger, of course. And to me, these things were ridiculous. Why the hell would you want to do that when you could be out experiencing life? Uh, so, you know, we just went in different directions. But we never fell out. It was never acrimonious. It was 
you know, he went on to do bigger and better things with Big Country, and I went on to do what I've been doing ever since. So, you know, these things happen. It doesn't matter how you deal with them. The one thing you must never be about bands crumbling and falling out or whatever is bitter. And I think that's the mainstay of how we've managed to put our little outfit together again. It's not bitterness. It's all to do with the energy and the commitment and a little bit of passion. You know, if you're, if you're interested in all of those things, you don't ever lose them because, you know, you, you reflect on the world. That can be the politics and cultural shifts that are going on around you. Yeah. Were, were there any kind of um, conversations you needed or had to have just to sort of clear up a few matters before moving on again with some of the members? No, not at all. I mean, it was just everyone was just genuinely excited. So no, not, not at all. I mean, obviously, Stuart Adamson's not involved with us anymore because, unfortunately, he's passed away. Yeah. Um, and so, but the other original members, no, I think they were, they felt they couldn't do it unless they had somebody to hang all the ideas on and that person was me and they wanted me to kind of commit to it. And so I tentatively committed to it just to see how it would go and it's been a never-ending surprise, you know. It's been really quite life-affirming, the whole experience. I've loved it, every minute of it. Yeah. I love the playing live element and communicating with people and also... You know, if you've got an audience who are of a similar age to you are, who've gone through life's journey and have had great moments, bad moments, sad moments, incredible moments, you know, the typical journey, then they're no longer your fans, they're your friends, you know, because they've gone, they've got, they've, they've survived and they've had incredible experiences. So, you know, you're sharing something with them. It's not, it's not like an old-fashioned, you know, relationship that you would normally associate with a, a band and its um, following, which is a its fan base. This is much more a friendship, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And and also the skids obviously did open the doors and, and was a an huge influence of so many bands, especially in uh, in Scotland, because obviously come a few years later, the sort of the Scottish indie scene was very sort of prolific and obviously John Peel was picking up on all that. So you're... Yeah, you, you, must... you say that, actually, but I, I don't think we did influence that next wave so much because the next wave was... Orange Juice and, you know, all those kind of um, postcard bands. And yeah. they were much more kind of romantic and um, they were kind of inspired by a different kind of music. They certainly weren't, they didn't have the same anger and edge that we did. But, I mean, what I've found is the bands that we did influence, uh, it, it constantly surprised me. Someone sent me a YouTube video the other day of uh, Manic Street Preachers playing last month doing Into the Valley as an encore which is one of our songs. And, of course, you 2 and Green Day did a cover version of, of our song, The Sense of Coming, which was absolutely massive all over the world uh, as a charity record. So, you know, th those bands don't kind of shy away from the influence that this small band from East of Scotland had on them, which is really, really nice, you know, to hear that and to, and to <clears throat> feel that kind of warmth. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that was my second part of the interview with Richard Jobson. Just one more part to go. And if you were paying attention, and hopefully you were, you would have mentioned, or you would have heard him mention, Stuart Adamson, who went on to form Big Country. And Big Country were one of those bands who, at the time, I thought were going to be bigger than, well, you two. And I was so wrong. But anyway, I still thought they created a fantastic sound and several amazing albums during the 80s. This is East of Eden. <laughs> Thank you. 
Crazy. That was Rock and Roll. That was Big Country in a track called East of Eden. That came from their second album, Steel Town, um, which was in 84. I just noticed their debut album came out in 83. So they were really prolific. And that featured on guitar. And he was the one who made that exciting sort of sound. It almost came, sounded like a bag, bag puss. No, bagpipe. Pay attention. Bruce Watson. And uh, Bruce is also in the skids. So there you go. He's been busy ever since those teenage days of learning to play the guitar. And the skids, as I said earlier, will be playing at the waterfront on the 19th of Jan. Do check it out. It will blow your mind. And they have a new album. And this is the third part of my interview with Richard from the skids, where I asked him what he would have said to his 18-year-old self. Um, well, I think I know what my 18-year-old self said when somebody said to me, do you think this is going, you would do this as you get older, this play music like this? And I said, no, absolutely no chance. And here I am doing it. So um, read into that what you will. But I think my, my advice to the, the young me would be continue doing what you're doing because you were, you were just embracing life and you were using you know, all the experiences that were made available to you, you know, to, to kind of further yourself intellectually and as a human being. So, you know, everything has a relevance to your life if you connect with it. So, I mean, I just really went for it. And I think uh, obviously you make idiotic mistakes along the way, in which I've made many. But, you know, you mustn't dwell on them. Don't dwell on all that stuff. Just keep on going, keep on trying. I mean, like I say, you know, January 2018 is probably the most exciting January I've ever had in my whole life. You know, a new album coming out, which I'm immensely proud of, and uh, my first novel. So, you know, what a great start to a year. And I never thought I'd ever get that novel published. And I never thought anybody would be interested in helping us make a new album. But lo and behold, we made it happen. And I think that's pretty much the genesis of the whole punk ethos from back then that if you want to get something done you will get it done yes well it's, in, it's interesting because actually a lot of the bands that I've sort of been you know was very keen on and then they sort of had 20 years break and then have come back together I mean most of them are doing it almost for the I would say the kind of right reasons in that DIY punk ethos of putting geeks on themselves or at least a, a very keen fan and actually having sort of just put out an album which again is funded almost by crowdfunding as well and you think oh yeah. yes you know they're thinking no managers no kind of agent we're just going to do it this way and and they're really enjoying it and they're thinking as long as we're enjoying it we're doing it 
Well, that's it. I think that's uh, so. That's the key component. You know, um, if if this was something that I was finding turgid and you know monotonous and repetitive and boring, then I wouldn't be doing it. I just would stop immediately because I've got other things going on in my life that um, that excite me just as much. So, um, but it's not being any of those things. Like like I said to you earlier, it's life affirming. You know, you go on stage and you you. If you like connecting with people like I do, then you're talking to people, telling them stories, um, kind of putting over your point of view about how you see the song that you're about to sing being relevant to what's going on in the world. You know, I think that's really good. You know, you're there not just to play your songs and go through the motions. You're there to give people an overall experience. I'm not saying that everybody in the room would, would, um, would agree with all of the things that I say or my politics or whatever, but they're certainly going to get a bit of it. And they also get a bit of us being, having a bit of fun with ourselves, as in, you know, being able to laugh at yourself. And I think that's one of the great British qualities that we seem to be losing in this kind of post-Brexit era, the ability to laugh at yourself. Because, <laughs> you know, we're really good at it. Yeah, and we're very... better at it than anybody else in the world. This is but true. We're, we're, we've lost that in this kind of strange era that we've entered. The yes. ability to to kind of be a little bit more self-deprecatory and and you know see yourself in the mirror and burst out laughing. You know, I think people just sometimes take themselves a little bit too seriously. Yeah, absolutely. And just to, just to go because you mentioned it a few times, and I I did read a bit about your novel that you're bringing out. Because again, was that crowdfunded as well? It was, yes, it was. And uh, uh, I've written books before, obviously. I mean, one of my earlier books, 16 Years of Alcohol, was turned into a movie that was very successful. And, you know, I've done a couple of other books. Um, but this is something I've been working on for years and years. I'm a David Bowie fanatic. And I have been since I've been 10 years old. And I love science fiction, I think pretty much probably because of David Bowie. And I wrote a book, a, a, a treatment for a book, which is a story of two aliens who look human, who come to Earth to find David Bowie. And the reason they want to find David Bowie is that they, they don't understand human creativity. They don't understand where it comes from and what it is. And so they, they use Bowie as a case study and they travel through time looking at the different eras of Bowie. <laughs> Um, right up to the very last day with um, Black Star and and discover the truth, the kind of the gene that's at the heart of creativity to discover what it is, which, of course, I'm not going to tell you because people should rush out and buy the book in January. Oh, fantastic, uh, but, yes. So it's a, it's a really, it's a very sweet story, that's, it's, but it's a love letter to Bowie, essentially, but seen through the eyes of two preachers that are... Kind of, I use the word alien in the sense, how, in the way that Bowie used the word alien, people who don't quite fit in, who aren't the same as everybody else, who are a little bit different. And that was the great thing about him. He made it feel okay to be different, to be unique, to be want to dress differently, to your sexuality is different. All of these things, you know, he just made it okay and cool rather than something to be scared about. So, you know, we all we owe him you know, a lot, not just for his wonderful music and bravery in his ingenious way that he evolved and moved on and changed, but just because of his common humanity. He did some great things for 
people who sometimes, you know, were terrified about being different and saying differently, writing poetry, reading books that you weren't supposed to read, or uh, as I say, even, you know, people's sexuality. You know, Bowie really helped people uh, in a way that uh, he never really gets enough credit, I don't think. Indeed, the amazing David Bowie, or DB as we used to call him back in the day. Well, Earl Slick did. Anyway, that was the third and final part of my interview with Richard Jobson from The Skids. And uh, if you want to know any more about the book, it's uh, come out on Unbound Publishing and it's called Speed of Sound. And also The Skids have got a new album out called Burning Cities. They're going to be at the waterfront on the 19th of Jan. And that... Dear listener, is sadly the end of the show, but hopefully I'll be back next week because I've got so many uh, interviews and specials still to do, so there's a huge back catalogue. But anyway, thank you ever so much for listening, and um, yes, get in touch if you want. This is David Eastall on The C86 Show. Go to Facebook or Twitter at C86 and I'll be there. But this is a track from the new album, Into... No, it's not called Into the Valley. He says, looking down, A World on Fire. Get it right. I'll wait at that last bit. Anyway, have a great week. 